This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Robin Harding, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me, Cheryl. You will hear this in this podcast. Robin is actually based in Vancouver. She's there right now and I'm in Sydney and it is the year of Corona. So (laughs) we're trying our best. She is the author of several books, including the international bestseller, The Party, which was a finalist for the Arthur Ellis Award for Best Crime Novel. Her books have been lauded as fast-paced, thrilling and gut-wrenching. Her latest novel, The Swap, is a riveting tale about the toxic relationships between two couples after a night of sexual shenanigans and the manipulative teenager with an explosive secret at the centre of it all. Welcome, Robin. Now, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Tell me how you came to writing. Where did you grow up? Where was it that the love of writing came? Because you're not only writing novels, but you're also writing screenplays as well, or you were. Tell me how your career launched and where you grew up and Mm -hmm. how you came to writing. Well, I grew up in a very small town in the northern part of British Columbia, very much a logging town, a lot of pulp mills, very Canadian experience. And honestly, I'd say I, I fostered my imagination because it was kind of boring, you know, like we didn't, we only had two TV channels. We had a lot of animals around. I spent a lot of time in my head. And so I just, it was sort of a natural thing for me writing. And, you know, I excelled at it at school. But living somewhere so small and fairly remote, I really had no idea what to do with this talent or skill. So I went to school, uh, came down to Vancouver to go to university and study journalism which I soon realized, yes, I had, I was able to write, but I also didn't have like sort of the aggressiveness or the emotional fortitude to be in that kind of cutthroat world of journalism. So I kind of stumbled into a job in advertising where I was also able to use my writing skills. And then I just decided, you know, my kids were were little at the time and in Canada, we get a year's maternity leave. Yeah. So somehow I managed to work around them, around maps and getting up super early. And I wrote my first novel and was able to sell it. That was in 2004. Was that the party? No. So I wrote humorous women's fiction or chick lit, I guess they called it, back in the early 2000s, back when Bridget Jones's Diary and Confessions of a Shopaholic were really huge books. And, you know, I was lucky enough that I wrote something. It was called The Journal of Mortifying Moments, my very first novel. And as you can tell, it's not a thriller. Okay. 
and I sold it. I sold it to Random House, which is very exciting. And I wrote six more books, uh, kind of in the humorous light genre. And then I took a break and stepped away and I did some screenwriting for about five years. And, you know, that was a, a great learning experience for me. I did manage to get a film produced. I think I wrote about 400,000 scripts, but I got one film made. So the odds were not great, but I did learn a lot. And there and there were some glamorous moments. Uh, my film pre- premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF, which is, was a pretty big deal. And it was great, but it really made me realize how much I love books and the publishing world and the connection with readers. I'd have to touch on that and agree. There seems to be, particularly when I read reviews of films, it seems to be more black and white. Whereas I think readers have a greater empathy, readers of books and readers of fiction particularly, they have a greater empathy and they also it seems to be more subjective. So one book can resonate with somebody and not the other, and it doesn't write the book off. Whereas right. in the movie, it seems to be really clear cut. Yeah. You know, it either works or it doesn't. Whereas I think readers, and from what I see from the better reading community, they have a greater empathy and a greater connection to the story. And they may or may not like it, but they're going to finish reading it and they're going to tell you why they didn't like it. It's not like they're going to say, don't read it. It didn't work for me on this level. I often hear people talk about that. And then somebody else will come in and say, but I really enjoyed it and this is why I enjoyed it. Do you find that? Yes, absolutely. I think it's probably because with a film, you spend two hours with it. With a TV show, maybe you watch an hour a night for a week. With a book, you're spending significant time with it. And I think you go so much deeper into it with a book. You're, you're inside these characters' heads. And it is a, such a longer um, time period that you spend with it. And, and there will be times when you go, I love this book. Oh, no, I don't love it. Oh, I do love it again. And so I think there's so many twists and turns in, in a novel and you're so deeply immersed. And, and that's the great thing about readers and having a forum for them to talk to each other is that sometimes you'll think, oh, I didn't like this aspect, but someone will remind you or point something out to you that they did enjoy. And um, so I just think it's a bit, of a, a bit of a warmer world. And you're right, it's not so black and white. There's also a greater intimacy, I think, with reading. Do you know, sometimes I love audio books. I love audio books and I listen to audio books a lot because I've got a dog and I walk and I'm always either listening to a podcast or an audio book. But sometimes with fiction, particularly if I've started reading it in print and then I change over to listen to the audio because I'm running out of time or whatever, I find that that some doesn't work for me because the narrator's voice is taking away my relationship with the characters. Sometimes for me, it's so personal that I don't even want to hear somebody else read it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I don't listen to audiobooks and that is kind of why because when you're reading, you create those voices in your head and you have a visual of how of these characters and you have a, a sound, an audio, your own soundtrack in your head. And then I can't imagine switching from reading a paper book to, to an audio book. And I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time, but I really haven't, 
I want to, but I just have not uh, taken to audiobooks yet. Oh, I love them. Start with nonfiction and then you'll be addicted. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I oh, okay. audio so much. And especially if you're walking or driving yeah. rather than listening to crap radio, I can really learn something by listening to an audiobook. So why did you change genres? Why did you go from writing commercial fiction to, I guess, thrillers? Uh, well... Partly, the genre that I was writing, which was humorous women's fiction, kind of dried up a bit, you know? I mean, there were a few really established authors who continued on, and now it's back in, in another form, like romantic comedies, and there's there's definitely always humor, but I was writing away and, and kind of realizing I wasn't really selling that many books. I was still managing to publish, but I also realized that that's not what I was reading anymore either. Um, I had kind of gone to the dark side in my own case, and I didn't know if I would be able to write something that dark. I got the idea for the party when I was actually visiting my mother-in-law in Perth, Australia, and uh, we were on a vacation, and she was very ill at the time, so we were just spending a lot of time at home with her. And the idea just came to me, and I wrote about 70 pages, and then I left it for five, six years. And because I didn't know if I could write something that dark and if I could go back and take these characters where they needed to go and, and if I would find it depressing or upsetting. But every time I went back and reread it, I thought, you know, this might not be a book I want to write, but it's definitely a book I would want to read. So finally, I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish it. And... Thankfully, I did because it kind of launched a new career for me with thrillers. Tell me about the party for those people that haven't read it. Tell me about the premise of the party because it's incredible. Oh, thank you. Um, for the party, you know, I have children who are now in their early 20s. But uh, when I wrote the party, they were teenagers, especially when I got the idea for the party because it took me such a long time to get back into that book. But it's a story of a family in San Francisco, a wealthy perfect on the outside family who allow their daughter to have a small sweet 16 sleepover. And in the middle of the night, um, you know, they're in bed, kids are sleeping downstairs and they're woken up when their daughter comes running into the room and she's covered in blood. And she says, we need help. And so it's the fallout of what happened that night when these kids were, in the home of this couple and the fallout in the community and the legal repercussions of something happening to um, someone else's child under their roof. And it's just a giant, giant mess. (laughs) There's a theme in your books, isn't there, where where children or teenagers often feature? Yeah, I always am very attached to writing a young perspective. And I think I just like to, you know, they're still very adult books, but I do always like to have a perspective from someone who is less jaded and less experienced and a little bit more naive. And I just think it's a really interesting way to look at situations. And my editors now, they feel that I'm, that I'm really strong at writing young women. So they really encourage me to always include that point of view in anything I write. Because mm, it does read with a very authentic voice, I think. So tell me. Oh, thank you. Maybe it's because I have a daughter. Yeah, maybe because you've lived it, lived it with yourself and now living it through your children. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tell me about your latest novel, The Swap. So The Swap um, (laughs) is about two attractive couples who one night after taking some magic mushrooms, they decide to swap partners and they think it will be a harmless, you know, night of fun, but it completely upends their lives. Thanks in large part to an obsessive teenager who knows far too much about what the adults are up to. It's a tough one. I, I found it very compelling, but I was so irritated with some of the characters. You know, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> when you're writing characters, does some of those characters, even though you're writing them, irritate you? Not really. I have a lot of fun writing these people. And it's quite, it's kind of become my trademark that all my characters are so unlikable. And in this case, I thought, I've done it. I've created a really nice, likable character in Jamie, who is one of the women who, you know, partakes in the couple swap. And then my editor read it and goes, I don't like her. And I was like, what? She's so nice. And she's like, no, she isn't. And And so we tried to make her nicer. But it just, you know, I mean, there's go- all my characters are always going through such messed up stuff. It brings out the worst in them, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe they're nice people originally, but there's just all the strife and drama brings out their ugly side. So I actually have a ton of fun writing it. Yeah, well, it's what we were saying earlier, right? So you've read it, you think that she's nice and your editor's read it and she thinks it's not nice. And again, it's reader's perspective, right? You know, that's just the way it is. I love that. Well, thank you. So are you on to a next book? Do you write a book a year? How frequently do you write? Yes, so I am writing another book right now and I do write a book a year. I actually, after the swap, I thought perhaps I would take a break and have a year off. So I had pitched an idea to my editors and they said yes, that they wanted it. But I told my agent, can you please tell them that I would like to publish it in 2022 instead of 2021? Because the pandemic hit and I just could not focus. And, you know, I just went I was sitting around making puzzles and watching the news and probably drinking too much wine and eating too much chocolate and thinking, you know, I've got, I've got an extra year. And then suddenly my publisher came back and said, 
no, we want you to publish it summer 2021. So suddenly I had a significant deadline, which there's nothing like a little pressure to uh, get the creativity flowing. So I am working on that now and uh, I'm maybe halfway through a first draft. A lot of people, I mean, we've been recording podcasts throughout the pandemic and in the past, I'd only do them face to face, but now we're recording, like I'm talking to you, you're in Vancouver and I'm in Sydney, but a lot of people, like I spoke to Peter Carey, for instance, recently from New York, and he was saying that he really is not struggling with writing, but struggling with reading. He was felt so distracted by the pandemic. Mm. And so I guess because it was a great unknown for all of us and we were in lockdown, I guess you were in lockdown and he, a lot of us and a lot of writers that I've spoken to really felt crippled by that. You would think it would be the perfect scenario for a writer to be in lockdown. But many people have told me, many writers have told me, well, one, they've been locked down with their families, whereas usually they're writing on their own. Um, yeah. Or they've been distracted by the pandemic and in a way just not being able to think about writing a book. So has that happened to you? Um, it, it did, definitely. It was suddenly, you know, my daughter was away at university and the university closed down, so she came home mm. and my husband was working from home and all of a sudden everybody was here and it just felt very strange and it was very hard not to constantly check the news. And it still kind of is, you know, now we, we've got the, you know, racial injustice and protests and there's just so much going on in the world that it is very distracting and sometimes very hard to focus on something that feels fairly meaningless, um, you know, but, but entertainment is important. And I think, um, you know, reading, like allowing yourself to be taken out of all the stuff going on in the world is, is, is important and valuable and so I'm, I'm somewhat grateful for this deadline now because I have been able to get back into it and immerse myself into it, into writing because I have no choice. I have a contract and I have a manuscript to deliver. And so when I get into it, I enjoy it. And it helps me forget about all the other things that are going on in the world, at least for a few hours a day. Are you still in lockdown in Vancouver? No, oh, sorry. We were never actually locked down here. We have been social distancing all along. So we've been very lucky that we've always been allowed to go outside and go for walks and go for hikes. You know, restaurants were closed. They have recently reopened. People are still working from home for the most part. My son and husband are both working from remotely. Their offices have closed. But uh, I think my son's office is reopening with kind of plexiglass barriers and only 10 people allowed in at a time. Mm. But we've still, you know, we've been basically sort of like homebodies, but we have, you know, not been completely locked down like Mm. some places have been. Well, we were in a type of lockdown. We could go out, but really there was no, not many places you could go. And we were encouraged to stay at home. And, you know, Australians managed to keep the numbers quite quite low but it has lingered for a long time Mm -hmm. there's not going to be an end to it for instance and there's not going to be well in Australia of course you won't be traveling overseas for a long time how do you think that's going to affect literature surely that's going to come into stories isn't it that is such a good question and I have seen a lot of 
things on social media, Twitter, etc., where writers are actually having these discussions about what we're writing now and how we are treating the pandemic. And some people are writing it in. It's hard to write a novel where you can't go anywhere. Like it's like you can't see anyone. You can't. You mm. certainly can't murder anyone. You know, it's a it's a tricky thing. So the novel I'm writing right now. I chose to basically set it in 2019, so pre-COVID, because the idea I had would not work if no one could go anywhere. So I think there will be definitely some fiction come out, you know, set during the pandemic. Some people might um, be able to find a way to work that into their storyline. I also have a theory that perhaps more humor and light fiction might be the direction we're heading in, um, just given these dark times that we've been in. It just seems mm. like people are sort of craving uh, a bit of levity. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. We've always been an online community. So, you know, we were well-placed for coronavirus, if you like. We were well-placed for the pandemic. And I found so many readers and so many people that were non-readers turn to reading. Like I walk my dog in the park and I would have conversations with people where they'd say, Cheryl, I'm, I, you know, I've started reading and I haven't read for 10 years or I haven't read for 15 years, but I've got nothing else to do. And that really was music to my ears, wow. as you can imagine. Yeah. I heard that a lot here. And I heard that through the comments on our Facebook page. And we then launched um, virtual events where you can meet an author online through Facebook. And that has been just such a rewarding experience for both the author and the reader that they can have that personal connection through technology, through social media. And I have enjoyed watching that so much and I have enjoyed what it's given to the reader and I have enjoyed seeing how the author has responded to that interaction. It's quite extraordinary and I think it changes. I think it's those events aren't going to go away. We'll hang on to that because it's working and because both reader and author are really benefiting from it. Yes, I think I, I read today that um, book sales are actually up. I'm not sure about library. I know a lot of libraries are closed, but some people, are, there's virtual lending happening. And yeah, like launching a book during this time of social distancing, I've been doing significantly more Instagram lives and Facebook Q&As and Zoom book clubs and, and kind of having more opportunity to chat and answer questions. And, I, I, you know, I don't know, maybe some people do this all the time, like even during no pandemic when you can go out and tour. But I never tour anyway because I live so far away from everything. So <laughs> social media, I feel like I'm actually busier with this book launch than I would normally be. And have you enjoyed the process? Yes, it's it's great. And I love, you know, I love connecting with readers. And there's such a great supportive community of of book bloggers and Instagrammers and who really get so excited and they're so supportive and, um, you know, sharing their platform with all of us who are stuck at home in our offices. And it's, it's been really nice. My mm. only thing is, I got so used to not wearing any makeup or, you know, looking remotely 
<laughs> remotely presentable. And then I'm like, oh, God, I better put makeup on. I better do my hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you know, I, I have an observation with social media because, you know, I'm looking at it every day for work. People talk about the negativity, the trolling, how terrible certain um, social media platforms can be. But I've got to tell you, I'm mm-hmm. so lucky that with better reading that we I would say 99.9% of our transactions, our comments, our, you know, whatever we do with readers is positive. And I find that not just in our business, but in all the social media business that I see about books and reading, I feel that it is really almost always a very, very positive um, transaction, if you like. Yes, I would agree. And I, I, I think that is the book world. I, if someone asked me about this, you know, in the swap, uh, one of the women is a disgraced social media influencer who, you know, was selling products and getting sponsorships and getting paid to go on trips and to festivals, et cetera, et cetera. And I had to research that because my experience with social media has been really quite positive. The, the book world and readers and people who promote and help you know, spread the word about books are really, really lovely and warm and inviting. But there is another side to it when you get into some of these these influencers and how quickly people turn on them. And, you know, so I did a lot of research into that. And, and um, I'm very fortunate to be back in my, my book bubble where people are kind and, uh, you know, usually very positive. Mm. It takes us back to our, the beginning of our conversation. Now, listen, we've got to go soon, but I am going to ask you what your, we touched on it a little bit, but what's your relationship with Australia? Well, I consider myself an honorary Australian because my husband is from Perth and my kids are dual citizens, uh, both Canadian and Australia. And I lived in Perth for just, I can't remember if I was two months shy of getting my citizenship, but I sold my first book and ended up coming back in order to be there for the North American launch. So I am almost an Australian citizen. So I kind of uh, feel of all other countries other than Canada, my greatest connection is by far with Australia. So I'm so delighted that my books are being published there and that I have readers there. Mm, you certainly do. Thank you, Robin Harding. Thank you so much for your time. And it was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you very much, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.